Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Um, he, he, how many of you are like ready to go in terms of there's no last minute um, Amazon purchases you're trying to sneak in or if you have little kids like your your toys are put together and like you're ready to go for tomorrow. All right. You're welcomed here. I don't like you necessarily, but um, there's this there's this thing that happens and like you're always told it would happen, but where you get to be the gift giver. So I've got three kids that are small and it really is cool. Like you can't see yourself getting to that point because we love to get gifts, but it really is amazing when um, they love something and it's still magical. Like our kids are at that age where they wake up and um, they're obsessed and it's, it's just cool to watch that happen. And I love to give them gifts, obviously. Like I love it because I love them. Um, but there's another reason that I love it. I also love it because what they are gonna love on Christmas morning is gonna be what I'm gonna leverage, if that makes sense. So like if, if you're, and maybe this is not you, so I bow down to you, but as a parent, like I want, I love to see the joy in their faces. They wake up surprised. I usually wake up surprised with them. Like I can't wait to see what my kids get tomorrow morning. And when they begin to open it and they love that thing, it's kind of like there's a whole new batch of leverage underneath the Christmas tree. Um, and so you're kind of looking around as a parent going, you like that? Because that's, that's the first thing I'm coming for in 2019. In fact, um, generally, anybody else, seriously, can we just be honest? I know it's Christmas Eve, but are uh, you liars? You're completely, um, and then the other thing is like, even the, like the 12 days of Christmas for parents of toddlers is I am going to threaten that you're not going to have one the 12 days leading up because that's leverage underneath my tree. Like if you don't get it together, there's no Christmas like two, two or 49 times in the last two weeks. Um, but as a parent, you are like at some level, you you, you love them and all of that, and it really is amazing, but you are gonna leverage some of that stuff um, in the future. But here's my point is, I think at some level, some of us have that idea as it relates to God, that God at a certain point is leveraging our past against us in the present. And maybe you're in that place because you've met some nut job Christians or you had some bad church experiences. Some of you are here tonight, you do not wanna be here. This is very uncomfortable for you. It's been a while, I get it. We're not gonna ask you to do anything weird. But some of us have that idea and so we're at a place maybe where we're walking through something and we're tempted to believe it's a result of something that's happened in the rearview mirror. Or we're on the verge of something that um, we feel prompted to do and we won't take the step. And the reality is there's a lot of us that get to a place where we talk about the whole Jesus thing where we think our like we think our future is shaky because of what's happened in our past. And if you don't get anything else this afternoon, I guess the thing that I think is the epicenter of the Christmas story is um, God is looking for leverage at some level. 
but not in the way that you think. And despite whatever your past is or whatever you're walking through right now, your future is not shaky. And in fact, what we celebrate at Christmas is the fact that God has made some irrevocable promises so that no matter what pain you're walking through right now, and the pain may be legitimate and it may be difficult and whatever you are trying to unwind yourself from and whatever past you're coming out of, there is incredible hope as you leave, not because the circumstances changed tonight or this weekend, but because God has made you some promises and you have every reason if you would begin to lean into him to have unbelievable hope for your future despite what's happened in your past. And in fact, that's the whole like thread of the Christmas story that starts really about um, kind of like 900 plus years before a baby shows up in Bethlehem. God was looking for leverage. And God comes to a guy that you wouldn't expect, and he doesn't leverage his past against him, but he leverages his past and his dysfunction to show off the power of his promises and what he was bringing to planet Earth. And so he comes to a guy by the name of David and makes him the central figure or one of the central figures of the story because the guy most associated with Jesus, even in like the kids' storybooks, is David. The son, that the Messiah would be the son of David. And so God comes and sends a prophet to David um, via a guy by the name of Samuel. He comes to David's dad early on in David's life and God prompts this prophet to say, hey, you're gonna go to this guy by the name of Jesse and you are going to anoint the next king of Israel. And so I'll prompt you, I'll let you know which guy it is, but just go. So Samuel goes to a guy by the name of Jesse and he says, hey, God sent me here. One of your sons is gonna be the next king. Start bringing them out. We'll do a America's Top Model-esque kind of assembly line. You bring them through, I'll tell you if one of them is a king. And so they start bringing them out and Samuel's like, ah, that's not the guy, that's not the guy. Third son, that's not the guy. Fourth son, that's not the guy. Goes through Jesse's, seven of Jesse's sons and Samuel's like, those aren't the guys. Do you, like, do you have another son? And Jesse's like, yeah, but I mean, he's, if you're looking for a king, he's not king material. He's out tending sheep, but I, I will get him anyway. So they bring David, a teenage boy in and Samuel gets some kind of prompting from God that says, hey, I know it's unlikely, I know it's unexpected, but I work in unlikely situations with unexpected people. This is the next king of Israel because I'm looking for leverage. And God makes the promise right there that he's gonna do something incredible through David that every generation is gonna know about. And a guy by the name of Samuel, this prophet writes it down. And in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, which you can see on this massive screen, or if you download the CC app right now, I don't know if you're gonna get it that quick, but if you download it, all this is right there. If you got an old school Bible or your phone, here's what Samuel says. And this is the promise to David through the prophet Samuel about like 900 and some years before the baby in Bethlehem. And he says this, when your days are over, this is talking to David, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, meaning David, your family line, it's, it's not gonna end until this king comes. And I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build my house for my name, meaning um, I know, David, you wanna build a temple for God. It's actually your son that's gonna do that. But I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And what's the word? Just help me preach this for a second. Okay, seriously, it's three o'clock. You slept in. The throne of his kingdom, what? Forever. And I will be his father and he will be my son. And then this is important. He says, and when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men 
and with the floggings inflicted by men. And meaning, like, there's just cause and effect. Like, you go off the rails, there's some natural consequences to that. But then he lays down what this promise would look like. And I'm telling you, in this moment, David has no idea how far he's gonna go to test this promise. He has no idea what he's going to do to test whether God is really gonna do what God said he was gonna do. But Samuel, as he's prompted by God, delivers this promise to David, verse 15, but my love will what? My love will never be taken away from him, David, you. And your house and your kingdom will endure, how long? Before me, and your throne will be established, one more time, how long? Forever. Basically, God through Samuel comes to David to say, David, I'm making a promissory covenant with you. There was three types of covenants. A promissory covenant was, it is a one-sided covenant. It's based on me. It's not based on you. I will. I will raise up a kingdom through you. I will sustain it. I will keep it going through every generation. I will defeat every enemy that comes in its way. I will raise up a Messiah, I will work even through your dysfunction. I will do what some people will never even think is possible. And I will, through you, the most unlikely person imaginable will do everything that I said that I would do because it's a one-sided promissory covenant. I'm just gonna do it. I will, I will, I will, I will, period. And so David, take it to the bank. This is gonna happen. Through your kingdom and family line, you're gonna have a great, 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 great grandson who's gonna become the son of David, the Messiah, and he's gonna offer hope to the world. And it's just gonna happen. And then four chapters later, David tests that promise in a way, again, that is unimaginable. And maybe you know the story, but God's not blindsided and God's not wondering during the whole fiasco, but one night David, who has ascended to the throne of of Israel during the golden age when they're the most powerful nation in the world. And he's out one night while his army is out fighting and he's sitting on his terrace and he looks across the other terrace. And I know this is a strange Christmas Eve message, but he sees um, this lady bathing. And this is just a side note, like maybe she could have taken that inside to help a brother out, but she didn't, she's on the terrace. And maybe you know the story, like David is just, he's filled with lust and um, he begins to investigate who she is and she, he finds out she's Bathsheba and um, she's married to a guy by the name of Uriah and Uriah, this is so crazy, is actually working for David the king and he's out fighting David's battles. And so their version of Tinder, if you're the king of Israel, most powerful man in the world, is just go get her. And so they go get Bathsheba and bring, it, bring her to David and they end up sleeping together. David abuses his power in a way that is unimaginable and eventually she gets word that she's pregnant and she's devastated. And David immediately goes into action because this is bad PR, it could wreck everything. So he's gotta find a solution. So he comes up with a brilliant idea. He's like, go get Uriah, known as Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, they're married and bring him back to the kingdom. And so that happens and David has a little, um, I don't know, they chatted up for a little while. And then finally David says to Uriah, hey, you've been fighting hard, man. You've been on the battlefield for weeks. You've given a lot. Why don't, why don't you go home to your wife tonight? Like just, you, des you deserve it. And because David's thinking if she goes home or he goes home to his wife after being away a long time on the battlefield, Stuff's gonna happen. 
and whatever that looks like in their culture. Um, Bruno Mars on a harp and rose petals. Like, we don't know how that happens, but he's like, go, go home. And so he sends Uriah home. And this is so crazy, man. Uriah gets home and Uriah has so much integrity. He's like, I'm not going into my wife. My men are out fighting. There's no way I could do this. And so David finds out the next day. And so David goes into action again, brings Uriah in. They have a big party. He gets Uriah drunk. This is on the Bible. You should read it. And Uriah is drunk. David sends him off to his house again. He's like, Uriah, just stay one more night, man. You, you deserve it. Go home. Be with your wife. And Uriah goes home, but he doesn't go in again. He sleeps outside and he's just sober enough to know, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna do this when my men are sacrificing literally everything. There's no way. And so then David is at a point where um, he starts to consider things that we do when we're in desperate moments and we don't know what else to do, like he would never would have considered otherwise. And he devises a crazy plan that begins to threaten everything. And he writes a little note and he gives it to Uriah and sends Uriah back out to battle to his commander, Joab. And Uriah has no idea what the note says, but on the note, David says, listen, Joab, I want you to put Uriah at the fiercest point of the fighting. I want you to withdraw the flanks. I want you to explain expose Uriah. David gives it to Uriah. Uriah has no idea, and Uriah takes it back to his commander, Joab, having no idea he's delivering his own death certificate. How messed up is that? And Uriah gets out there, and Joab follows the orders of David because David's the king, and it happens just as David hoped it would. Uriah's out there. The flanks pull back. An arrow comes off of the wall of the city. They're about to siege, and it strikes Uriah, and he falls down dead in the middle of the battlefield. Problem solved. Bathsheba is devastated. She finds out her husband dies and eventually she's probably forced into marriage with David, pregnant with their child. And David is at a place where he thinks everything's good, man. I got away with it. But God knew. In 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, 27, it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Because like God knew. Like God knows the unedited Instagram version of us. God knows the stuff that we're carrying that we haven't divulged to anybody else. God knows the stuff we're walking in here with this afternoon that we think keeps us from anything in the future, stuff we haven't told anybody else. Like God knew. And at this point, God has a decision to make about whether he's gonna keep his promise to David. And you gotta think, man, just just to just to be real about the story for a second, you gotta kind of be thinking, okay, God, all due respect, I think you got the wrong guy. I, bad draft choice, equivalent of Johnny Manziel in the first round. Like this, this is not the right guy. If you're looking for a king who's gonna start a family line, that's gonna birth a Messiah, and it's gonna be his name associated with the story forever, I think you want Uriah. Uriah's the guy with integrity. Uriah's the guy with character. David is abusing, adulterous, lying, murdering, cover-up artists. I don't think you got the right guy. And God, God had a decision to make, and And God was looking for leverage. And so David carries the secret for a year and then he sends another prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan tells a story about exactly what David had done, but he changes the names and he comes to David, tells the story. David gets enraged and angry. He's like, find that dude and kill him. And then Nathan has the ultimate gotcha moment where he just looks back at David and says, David, bro, I'm talking about you. 
And it says that David fell to his knees, he repented, which just meant he just kind of began to see clearly the, the mess and the dysfunction that he created. His family was a mess. His, brother, his sons go to war with each other. One son kills another son. He's humiliated by one of his sons. It's, it's all in there. It's crazy. His, his little baby with Bathsheba ends up dying early on, and, and his kingdom is divided. And there he is the guy with the most important promise made to him in history, and he's gonna be the one that we're gonna know for all time that the son of David, the abuser, the affair-having, lying, adultering, cover-up artist. And then 990 years later, and this part of the story you know, right? A girl by the name of Mary, who's about to have the baby, and a guy by the name of Joseph roll into the town of Bethlehem that is known in that moment as the city of David. And the little baby that was gonna be born in a manger is about to be born as the great grandson 29 times over of the abusing, lying, adulterous, murder-having scheming cover-up artist known as David because God had made a promise. And then Luke sits down, and this is the part we all know, and Luke starts to write it and he goes like, I've gotta, I've gotta communicate this so that people know how amazing it is. And Luke says in Luke chapter 2.10, but the angel said to them, this is the angel to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you, help me out one more time, what? Good news of what? Great joy. Can I just tell you, whether you've experienced that or not, whether that has been your experience with the church, regardless of what has been done to you in the name of Jesus, if you have not left those relationships and those churches with the idea that it is good news of great joy, regardless of your past, somebody jacked it up for you. It is good news of great joy that will be for all people. And here's Luke's punchline, beginning of verse 11, because today, and this is the part we look right over. Today, in the town of David, because God had made a promise. And I gotta imagine in my imagination, at some point God's going, I'm looking for leverage, how do I communicate this? How do I set this up so that people who are overwhelmed by the ghost of their past and thinking that there is no way because of that they can have a future, how do I communicate to people who are wondering how far I'm gonna go to forgive them? How, how do I communicate to people who are wondering whether it's really true? Like, I need leverage, and David is perfect. Bring the lying, bring the murdering, bring the adulterous affair to me because I want the world to know that I have come not to leverage my punishment. I have come to leverage the dysfunction in the past of David to show off the overpowering and overwhelming idea of my promise that is to the world and will never be retracted. And it's so, it's why Mary and Joseph rolled in to the city and to the town of David so that every generation would know that God keeps his promises and that the promises and the purposes of the Lord will prevail because they are promises that are based on him. They're not based on David. They are promises based on him. They are not promises based on us. And he has come not to leverage our past against us, but leverage our past to reveal the power of his extraordinary reckless promises to us. 
listen, I just wanna say this to you, and I don't know where you're at, whether ultimately you listen to this via radio, you're podcasting somewhere, you're in the house, is, is, is you just need to know tonight, this is really the message of Christmas. God made up his mind. God made up his mind. God made up his mind what he's going to do despite what you've done. And it's not that, that there's not consequences of stuff we drag from our past. All of us know that. We don't need to be convinced of that. But God is going to leverage them anyway, and our future is not shaky because of what he's promised us. What you did at 17 years old does not reverse the destiny God had planned for you in your mother's womb. The breakdown does not handcuff God from doing something with your future. The breakup does not somehow corner God to where he cannot fulfill his destiny for your life. God is the promise maker. And when God makes a promise, God is going to keep those promises. And so it's why when David starts to fly off the rails, God's going, okay, that's not ideal, David. There's gonna be a lot of ramification and dysfunction that's gonna ensue because of this. But I'm just telling you, I'm gonna use it. Bring me the lying, bring me the murdering, bring me the cover-up, bring it all to me because I want the world to know that there is no human decision or mistake that can mess up what I've promised once I promise it because I make up my mind. And it's why as we go to the Christmas store, I hope we begin to look at it a little bit different that, that when they roll in to the city and the town of David, it would be a reminder of God's promises to David, but I think more importantly, it would be a reminder of God's promises to us. And the promise really is, is encapsulated in this final statement in this verse that today in the town of David, a what? A savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah and he is the Lord. And maybe you know this, that 33 years later, he ends up in a rented upper apartment room and he's with his guys hours away from when he's going to be crucified. And in that moment, he makes a new promise and he makes a new covenant, not the promise to a king or the promise to David, but the promise to sinners who need a savior. And hours later, he would seal that promise in blood of the forgiveness of sin and the offer of peace with our past and the promise that once we receive it, he's never going to retract it. And then hours after that upper room experience, you know this, the baby of Bethlehem is stretched out on a cross to die for your sin and to die for my sin. Because God knew that there was one obstacle to the promise that he was inviting us into, and that obstacle was sin. And so he came to live the perfect life that we could not live, and then he died on the cross, honestly, the death that all of us should have died. Whether you have degrees of sin or not, here's what the scripture says, it all looks the same. Regardless of your education, GED, PhD, religious background, whether it's Sunday school kid or pothead, God just sees him and everybody else, and everybody is in need of a savior. And so he came to die. He rose from the grave. We believe in history three days later, and then he offers the promise by faith. If you would receive it, I have removed the obstacle to sin for you, and I want to forge a new future. And he says to every single one of us tonight, just trust me, just trust me, because I made a promise based on me, not on you. And I think, and you just need to hear this for a second, because I know you've got some stuff, and so do I, but if there were limits to the promises of God, they would have been exposed by David 3,000 years ago. And so here's, here's what you need to hear tonight. You have, not been prom, you have not been promised a perfect life, 
but you have been promised a perfect savior. And I don't know where you're at, but some of you are in a place right now, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you've received that promise a long time ago, but you're living like your, your future and what's ahead of you is shaky because of what's happened in the past of whether God could use you whether God could see you out of this pain, whether God could leverage the pain, whether God really is gonna work purpose out of it. And I'm telling you, tonight, God is not here to leverage your past against you. He is here to leverage your past to show off the power of his promise. And so if you're 35 and you walked away 15 years ago, you just need to know this. In your unfaithfulness, God has been faithful to you because he made you a promise. And if you grew up in the whole deal and then you walked away and figuratively you have just shaken your fist at God, you just need to know that in your faithlessness, God has been faithful to you because he made a promise. And you may be alienated from him or feel alienated from him, but he is not alienated from you. And you may be dragging around dysfunction from your past that's showing up in your present and you are condemning you over it, but your savior comes tonight to go, I am not condemning you over it because I have made you a promise. And you may be walking right now through some pain and difficult circumstances and maybe you didn't even choose them. And you feel at some level God's leveraging what's happened here over what you're experiencing right here, that somehow what you are experiencing with your pain is God's punishment. And I just want you to know tonight that God already handled punishment at the cross, one time for all time. And whatever you're walking through is not God's punishment because that was already done away with. And he has promised, I will leverage any pain and any hurt as a platform for your good and my glory. And I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. And I didn't promise you a perfect life, but I did promise you a perfect savior. And so tonight, the promise is from a perfect savior, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will restore you. I will forgive you. But I came to do more than just forgive you. I came to forge a new future. And I'm telling you tonight, you can receive that promise and you have every reason to be confident that God has a destiny and a will for your life that he still wants to fulfill because it is not on the basis of what you did. It is on the basis of what he decided. And I'm telling you, if you begin to move in his direction tonight, he did not withdraw his promise to David. He did not re retract his promise to David and he is not going to retract or withdraw his promise to you. God made you a promise. And as we close, let me just say this one more thing. Some of you, it's pain and it's, it's hurt and it's, it's illness and it's unmet expectations. And in a lot of cases, you didn't have any hand in that. And I just want you to know, because I need to know tonight, and I think you might need to know tonight that God made you a promise. I'm Emmanuel, God with you. I'm Jehovah Jireh, I am the great provider. I am the great I am. You're what? I'm whatever you need wherever you are. 
Whatever you're walking through and whatever you're trying to walk out of, I am. I am the Prince of Peace. I am the Lord of Lords. I am the King of Kings. I am the everlasting Father. I am the ruling and reigning master of the universe. And there is a promise that was made that one day every bit of that hurt, every bit of that pain, every bit of that illness and dysfunction, it will bow its knee to Jesus because we serve a resurrected Savior that took the keys of death. He took the keys of hell. He took the keys of the grave. And he says, one day I'm going to make every evil untrue. I am going to right every wrong. I'm going to wipe away every tear. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to restore all things. And the pain is real. The dysfunction is real. The unmet expectations are real, but the warrior king has come to say, I am going to handle it. And there is going to be a day where every single hurt and wrong is going to be wiped away because of Jesus. And it will bow its knee in humiliation to his power and his promise. God has made you a promise. And so as we close, I want to talk to you if you're a follower of Jesus and you've embraced this message. And and this is such good news of great joy, man. Because tonight you can leave here and there is so much hope in the promise. And so right now you're in that place of wobbly knees and a shaky outlook for your future. And God's asking you to take a step and your past is keeping you from it. And God wants to do some stuff with what you're trying to unwind from your past. And, and there's, there's consequences, there's dysfunction that we all know about, we all carry. But God wants to do something with your future. And God wants you to take the step of faith he's asking you to take. And God wants to move you through this pain without you abandoning him and believing the promise that he really is with you. And tonight, figuratively, you need to put a stake in the ground and you don't need to feel it to believe it, but tonight to reaffirm he's made you a promise and he is with you and he has a destiny and a will for you and he will even take the most shameful experiences of your past and he will use them for his glory and for your good because he made a promise to David and he's made a promise to you. And then others of you, the starting place is to receive the promise of a relationship with Jesus that is by faith. And so I wanna end with just telling you tonight, cause I don't know what you've experienced, but God has made you a promise. I'll make this really clear. He didn't make the future you a promise. He didn't make the 2019 you a promise that gets all those resolutions right. He made you right where you are right now with whatever you are experiencing right now. He made that you a promise. And it was a promise not of this announcement to do anything. That's good advice. That's not good news. It was an announcement that he's already done everything. It's why we needed a savior. And so John says this, and if you would just stand with me, I'm gonna end with this verse and the worship team's gonna come and lead us. But John said it best, and and you know this verse, for God, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son because God was looking for leverage. And whoever believes because it's by faith and trust in him will not perish, but have life. And so as we conclude this portion, if you would just bow your head, close your eyes, and that may be weird to some and I get it, but just out of respect for other people in the room and what God's doing in this moment that is beyond us. And honestly, I believe beyond what is natural, but for some, this is the moment where Christmas Eve 2018 will change the trajectory of their life. 
And so right now, specifically, if you're in a place where you've never received the promise of a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna make it short and sweet. It is so simple that we stumble over it because we're looking for some good advice to fulfill because that seems like it should be part of the bargain. A catechism, a class, something that your grandmother did, your church attendance. And the scripture says, it is only by faith and trust in what Jesus has done and trusting in his promise. And so right where you are, if you're ready to receive the promise of a relationship with him that can never be revoked, you can by faith receive it in this moment and pray this prayer after me. And there is not a prayer that saves you. I wanna make that clear. There's not a magic mantra. It doesn't even require a prayer. It requires a transfer of trust in your heart and mind to say, I'm not gonna trust me any longer. I'm trusting the promise of what God has done for me in Jesus. So right where you are listening via radio, podcasting somewhere, in a random place, in an unexpected time, you are not ready for this, but God had other plans in this moment to change your eternity. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you can pray this after me wherever you're at in your own heart and mind. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again. And right now I'm not trusting me any longer. I'm trusting you. I receive your promise of forgiveness and life. Wherever you're at in this room, I wanna give you one more opportunity. If you're right on the edge and you're chalking up that feeling to the environment you're in or my communication, and it's none of those things, it's the spirit of God right now in this moment. Right where you are, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again. And I'm not trusting me any longer. I'm trusting what you have done for me. I receive your promise of forgiveness and life. And the scripture says, no, no matter how wobbly the end of the finish line of your life is, you will stand face to face with a God who you can call heavenly father as his son and his daughter, because right now it's on the basis of what he has done and your faith in that promise, not what you have done or what you're going to do, good or bad. It is all Jesus. And so right now, if this was the moment where you've, you've placed your faith and trust in the promise and begun a relationship with Jesus with no eyes looking around, every head bowed, would you just raise up your hand and join so many people this weekend who this was the moment, this is the weekend where they made that decision to say, this is the moment where I personally received the promise of relationship with Jesus. All over the room, would you just lift up your hand right now to go, this was that moment for me? Yeah. Yeah, lift it up, keep it up for just a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give you another minute as Jesus, I pray that even right now, what you are doing would not fade away. I pray that you would not allow the enemy to allow doubt to creep in, maybe because the lack of some feelings or the lack of circumstances that may not necessarily change. But you would root even right now in this moment, the power of your promise. And as I conclude in prayer, I wanna encourage you to maybe grab that card right in front of you if you've made a decision before you leave. It says, I have decided, and just mark on there the decision to follow Christ. And we'd love as you take that to the 10 outside or connect point to give you a Bible with some information about this new journey and how you can connect here and how you can begin to grow. And none of that saves you, but we wanna help you begin to journey in this relationship 
with Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you have done in our house in this moment and all throughout this weekend. It is all you. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you've been doing for 2000 years, redeeming and restoring. And we pray and celebrate it in the name of Jesus, amen. And would you um, do what we do off here and put your hands together to celebrate those who've made a decision for Jesus. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is, regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.